0: Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and a director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Marianne Hughes. Marianne Hughes is the proud mother of two sons on the opposite ends of the autism spectrum. After her divorce journey, where she successfully advocated for her children's needs, Marianne started Special Family Transitions, to help families navigate the overwhelm and complexities of special needs divorces to get the best possible outcome with as little time, money, and stress as possible. Marianne is committed to support families with children with disabilities as a valued special needs divorce coach and consultant. Welcome, Marianne Hughes. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you
0: inviting me to join you. And, you know, being in the divorce world myself for such a long time, I know that having special needs children is a real stress on the marriage, and it really does change the divorce and the and the and really what you're focused on as parents. But maybe for our listeners who might not be so familiar with that, can you talk a little bit about what a special needs child or children, how it impacts the divorce and, and, and the stresses that it puts on a marriage?
1: Sure. So as you mentioned, I know firsthand the stress it puts on a marriage and what it takes to go through a special needs divorce. And after being married 21 years, I never expected to be going through divorce, but that is my reality, and it was a difficult process and one which I didn't want anybody else to have to repeat. So that's why I started my company to help others so that it would be an easier process for them because, like you said, there are a lot of challenges. And, And the reason for that is, you know, stressful enough, Having kids and the fifty percent divorce rate anyway with you know quote unquote normal marriages, when you have a special needs child as part of the mix, there's so much more involved. You're so much you're so focused as a parent, maybe as a couple, on the needs of that child, and you may not think about each other's needs or focus on the marriage as much. You may not be able to go out in public. You may have a limited things that you can do, and just the everyday care. That your child needs and what you need to do to advocate for them to be successful currently and in the future, definitely can take a toll on a person much less, you know, as well as a marriage. And so not to say that all special needs families go through divorce, there's all strong marriages out there that do make it, but I think the extra stress of having a child with a disability and having that be the center of a marriage, I think, is why so many marriages can go through Rough times, and some make it. Like I said, and unfortunately, some some do not.
0: Yeah, and so I think what you're saying, Marianne, is that that because of the extra time, the extra worry, the extra concern, that is sort of maybe outside what what everybody else is doing, is really takes a lot of time that, and is really, I don't know, kind of hijacking of your attention and your energy, and that that's a stress on a marriage, but it doesn't go away when you're getting divorced. So what are some of the ways to deal with that while you are getting divorced?
1: Sure. So as having a special use child, your focus is always on the needs of that child in the short term and long term. And that's really highlighted during the divorce process. So first you want to make sure that that child is, their immediate needs are going to be taken care of. And then you want to plan for what they're, Life is going to be like in the future. And that itself can have a huge toll on a person in terms of the overwhelm and anxiety that goes into the process. Because it's not just, you know, this is a divorce, we're going to be done, and then the child's 18 and that's it. You know, the child, whether they're young or whether they're an adult, they're going to have needs that are ongoing. And that's part of the stress and the unknowns that are out there in trying to figure out what do we need to do for that child to make it the best case scenario. For them, So as you mentioned, my focus is parents, but it's also on the child. So to me, they, they go hand in hand because you've got to really look at what the end goal is in the divorce and what is it you're trying to get out of the divorce and what do you want the future to look like for yourself and for your child. And that may look different for every single person depending on what that child's abilities are and what their needs may be in the future. So it's real important to think that through and then we can talk about more ways to do that. But you have to kind of calm yourself down and get through the overwhelm. I think wellness and self-care is a big area that maybe doesn't get addressed initially as you're raising your child, but it definitely becomes a even more important as you're going through divorce. Because myself, as a special needs mom, I always put my kids first and put my needs last. But I learned through the process that if I don't take care of myself, then I can't take care of my children properly And and... Manages divorce in the best way possible. So definitely that's the best piece of advice I can give is make sure you're taking care of yourself, which you need to do because the phrase I like is you can't pour from an empty cup. So unless you're in a position to take care of yourself and take care of the business of divorce in your everyday life, your child is not going to get, you know, what they need from you.
0: And I think that's such an interesting thing that you're talking about because I think that many parents, and maybe even particularly women, have, feel guilty about putting themselves first. You know, oh, I have this energy, I have this time, I should be doing something for my child. Even if they have regular children, you know, neurotypical children, it can just feel like you shouldn't do that. But it's not, you know, it's kind of, it comes back to that kind of sort of even joke about putting the the oxygen on your face first in an airplane. So it's
1: exactly right. For the long time, like you said, I didn't do that, but I... When I was in the throes of it and just had all this craziness around me trying to figure out how I'm going to get through it, I found that, you know, obviously putting myself last (laughs) didn't work because I was in a divorce situation, so I realized, okay, to make, you know, to from here on out, and great, I'm not always 100% perfect in this. I still, you know, sometimes, you know, don't put myself exactly first, but, but to know that you've got to take care of yourself, your health, your wellness get out there and get some exercise, eat well, do whatever it is. It may not have to be very time-consuming. It could be when the kids are home, when they're at school, maybe an extra cup of coffee or a little nap or just a walk in nature just to kind of recenter yourself and and get focused on what it is you have to do. But like but like you said, I think as a, as a mom and especially a special needs mom, we definitely oftentimes put our needs last and this is not the time to do that. This is the time to take care of yourself, and to advocate for yourself and for your child. And that takes a full amount of energy, and you've got to be in the best mental and physical state to do that. So,
0: Marianne, I want to go back to something you said earlier about how typically we, as parents, think about our parenting our children until they're 18, or you know, they go off to college and, and are pacing ourselves on that kind of timeline. But when you're dealing with a special needs child, that child may or may not leaving home is that right and you have to think about a more long-term parenting strategy
1: exactly so as part of the divorce you've got to think about that and then after that as well because part the the challenge for me in the divorce was trying to figure out what my child would need in the future I hadn't really had those thoughts or discussions yet and it's honestly something that I think most especially parents put off until they absolutely have to think about it because it is so stressful there's a joke that you want to outlive your special needs child by one day so you'll be there to always take care of them, but that's not the reality. And so you have to plan for what is that child going to do once they age out of the school system? What are they going to do to, if they can, further their education and and supports there? If they can't go on to post-secondary education, then what are they going to do? What kind of programs are out there and what are they going to cost? And the private ones cost a whole lot of money and the public ones you've got to be on a waiting list and you may not even come up and qualify for funding or opportunities that can help you. So a lot of parents are kind of at a loss, you know, what, what, as to what to do anyway, even if they're not getting divorced, as to what their child's going to do at 18. But when you're throwing everything into the mix all at one time, there's just so much that you've got to think about and it, it can become overwhelming. And that's when you've got to reach out to different resources to try to get help. My husband, ex-husband I should say, would joke, I guess the joke was that he said, well, this is not a life care plan because I was trying to plan for my children's needs as part of the divorce to try to figure out how much child support and how much support they would need to, to have a good life. And he had a different way of seeing it where it was, you know, this is a divorce and we'll deal with other things later. But to me, it was all wrapped up together. And so that's the way I come into this is to figure out when I help my clients and the way I came into it, what is it going to take for your child to have a good life? What are they going to need? And, you know, how can you get there based on the resources that you and the other parent can provide, as well as maybe available in the future?
0: I I think it's a really interesting thing that you're talking about because I know that if you are thinking, if you have a disabled child and you're thinking about maybe there are government entitlements or subsidies that can be used to augment, the cost of that child's later needs that you have to think especially if in you're in New York or another state where child support and a parent's duty to support a child goes to age 21 not till age 18 how the two things are going to interact with each other and make sure that you're not doing something to disadvantage your child and the opportunities that you have for that for that child when they reach the age of 18 by the divorce agreement itself and to think more broadly just beyond, beyond the divorce and, and to see how that integrates into everybody's lives and, and just do that in a much more complete way than you might normally do. I, I think that's one of the things you're talking about. Is that right?
1: Right. That's a great point. That's one of the things, for aspects for sure, because it is part of the process that people don't you know, think about as they're initially in it that you do want to protect that child and make sure that they're going to be eligible for government services and benefits and SSI and other things that may be available to them. But if the reality is, if you have that child has more than two thousand dollars in assets, which is not a whole lot, they're not going to, not going to qualify for those programs and for that funding. And so you've got to find a way for that child support or life insurance or whatever things are coming to that child to be direct in such a way that that child is not at risk for being not eligible for those programs and I don't want to get too technical into this, but there's different like third party special needs trust where you can name that as the beneficiary as opposed to your child directly for like say life insurance or for money that people may want to give or for some kind of inheritance. But then there's also something called a first party special needs trust where you can direct the child support payments to go because that child support, at least in Texas, is considered the child's money. And so that will negate, like you said, some of the benefits and funding that may eventually come their way. So you've got to be real careful about how you word things in the the decree as well as how you go forward in the future to make sure that the child is going to be always eligible for what's out there, whether or not they are currently, they may in the future, and then you don't want that to be a problem down the road.
0: I'm Catherine Miller and this is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 530 and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and I'm talking today with Marianne Hughes about special needs divorce and this divorce with special needs children and, and some of the complicating factors and things to consider. And, you know, one of the things that we really focus on in the Miller Law Group is taking an integrative or holistic approach to divorce Marianne and thinking about how does this divorce connect with everything else that the family has planned and their estate plan and their insurances and what's going to need to change because this legal relationship between husband and wife is no longer going to be that. And I think what you're pointing out is how important that is when you have special needs children, because the decisions you're making during the divorce could impact your children for years and years to come financially. And that is super important to make sure that People are talking with their legal team and getting the input from other professionals about what might be the future uh, goals and plans for for this child. Is that
1: right? Exactly. Like you said, I definitely recommend a team approach, having a lawyer who understands some of these considerations as well as a financial person who can help you plan for the future. And, you know, sometimes a coach like myself to help you kind of think about all the things that need to be considered direct you to the right individuals and, you know, help you think of a strategy, you know, to get through the divorce and to be successful in the future. So for sure, it's a team effort. I also recommend, if you can, you know, a therapist for yourself and sometimes for your children. But the problem with Having that for the children is based on their level of functioning and ability. They may not be able to find someone who's willing to work with them in that type of setting. And so what I had to do to support my children is to create social stories, which are ways to communicate in a very methodical, easy-to-understand fashion as to what's happening in their world, what's happening now, and what the future is going to look like. And this kind of helps them because my kids have autism, and autism a lot of the characteristics is that you have a difficulty with change and transitions, and so this was a big change in our lives, especially if you're not given advance notice. So I would suggest for your children, if you're going through this, give them as much notice as you can, prepare them so that it's not a shock on anybody or surprise, and, you know, d- definitely work to uh, support them and put the child first. So to me, that's the biggest thing, whether it's for funding, child support, their needs in the future, their emotional and mental well-being, you know, figure out what it is they need. And like you mentioned earlier, the parenting plans may look different, the possession time may look different than the regular child because, you know, they may not do well going back and forth, back and forth. So you've got to think carefully how that's going to work and what's going to be best for that child.
0: Marianne Hughes, I was just going to ask you about how the parenting plans would be different and how that... That could be super stressful on one parent and both parents, really, in a way. You know, if one parent is then the primary caregiver and is given care all the time and no break, and the other parent may feel bereft of a relationship with the children and unable to connect in the way that he or she previously had. And so what are some ways to think about parenting plans when you're dealing with a special needs child?
1: Right. So it depends on the child because every special child is different. So like you said, usually it's one primary caretaker, and so you want to balance that and give that person a break. So a lot of times people in that position are afraid to kind of let go and let the other parent have time, but, you know, I learned a long time ago that, you know, everyone's going to parent differently, and so whether you're co-parenting or parallel parenting, and I know that's maybe a whole other discussion, but you want to... Find a way for both parents to make it work. So, for instance, if one parent is traveling a lot, then, you know, I would suggest flexibility in terms of maybe the weeks or the schedule that you have and not maybe just stick to the degree exactly, you know, if you've got to come up with a solution for that. So, but definitely make sure that you give the other parent, the primary caretaker, enough Break, You know, maybe, you know, every other weekend or maybe, I know some people who do a week on, a week off. So it really depends on what's going to work for that child and what's going to work for that, that parent and then each of them in terms of working. And then so you raise a good point also about one being the primary caretaker. So that person may not be able to get a job. And then getting a job, if they do, then they're going to have to hire another caregiver. So there's costs involved in that. So there's so many things to think about. But, yeah, hopefully both parents can continue to have a good relationship with the child. We don't want to exclude one over the other. And I would say if you can communicate together, you know, keep it professional, hopefully you can have a good relationship. But if you can't, then there's ways to communicate so that the child is getting what they need from each parent.
0: I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County, every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. And I'm talking today with Marianne Hughes about special needs divorce. And Marianne, if there are people out there who are divorcing with special needs children or thinking about it, how can they find out more about what
1: you do and get in touch? Yes, so my website is www.specialfamilytransitions.com and I also have a YouTube channel, Special Family Transitions, where I've posted some information, some resources and ways to get through divorce and all my social media is under Special Family Transitions. I have Instagram, I have a Facebook page and I also have a private group for those who want some more private type conversations and and connections with other parents going through that. And so all those things are linked on my website. So please feel free to reach out. There's a link to email me at as well, or they can just email me directly at Ann M-A-R-Y-A-N-N, at SpecialFamilyTransitions.com. I'm happy to help out. I give a 30-minute free consultation, and then we can discuss what your needs are and see what the best way forward is you know, for you and for your child. So I'd love to help, and that's my passion is to make sure that people get what they need and know how to proceed to protect their child in the future and to come up with the best results they can so that everybody has a good outcome going forward. Thank you for that.
0: You know, I've had several cases where there's a special needs child and one parent just decides it's too much and leaves the marriage and the child because he or she just can't deal with the special needs anymore, leaving the other parent. And I don't know if you've been familiar with any situations like that, Marianne, But, I mean, what
1: do you think about that,
0: and and how should the remaining parent cope with that situation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I see that all the time. It's sad, but it is reality. And so I would, you know, first try, if you can, get as much child support as possible on the front end. In Texas, we have indefinite child support. So if you think the person may be out of the picture later, then definitely try to get as much support depending on what your state will allow. Ideally, like you said, you want to work together and come up with an agreement out of court, but and out of the more and more, you know, legal system and and involving, you know, lawyers and time and money related to that. But yeah, so if that's not going to work, then there's, I guess, public funding sources you can go to. There's resources in the community. There's lots of groups out there that can provide emotional as well as some financial assistance even though that is hard to get. But I would say know that you're there for your child. Your child is counting on you even if the other party is not involved. You're there for your child. You need to do whatever you can to make sure that child's going to have the best outcome in the future. So definitely I would get on the list for services. Make sure that I know in Texas, you've got to sign up when they're young. There's a 12- to 15-year waiting list. So if you're not already on those waiver programs, as we call them here, then for sure do that. And there's different organizations that maybe, maybe could help with like funding, like college and other programs. But the hard part, not just the funding aspects, is, is people do get burnt out and overwhelmed with the care, like you said, that it takes. So find maybe in your community, whether it's family members, other people who can help help you with that, they call it respite, make sure that your child is taken care of and take advantage of different opportunities, whether through churches or other groups that can maybe watch your child for a while. Sometimes you might just need a break, a mental break for a little while, and then just regroup. But, but it is difficult, and it is a reality. Like you said, those parents, most parents may not be involved, and one may not be in the picture or may not be paying the child support they're supposed to be paying, and that's a whole other challenge in itself. But yeah, there's so much out there, but Keep focused on what's best for you and your child, and, and hopefully things work out in the end for you. And if not, then, then I'm here for you to try to uh, come up with some suggestions to go forward as well.
0: I think those are super, super suggestions. So what are some ways that parents can help neurodiverse children make it through a divorce?
1: Yes, I mentioned the social story and I have a um, resource I'd like to share as well. There's a group that I'm in where as a service learning project we put together a series of webinars. We brought in some child psychologists to offer some great information as to how to support the kids in a neuro, neurodiverse kids in divorce. And so we posted those um, on YouTube. So if you search for Lone Star Lend Divorce, it'll come up or just go to my Facebook page and there's links there so once again the special family transitions I'll have links to those videos where we have really experts in the field of autism and children and what they need to support them as best you can and and divorce and I put those together as part of a team because I felt when I went through my divorce it was hard enough to find resources to help the parents but there's even fewer really to help the parents support their child going through the process so to me that's it was a passion project to do, and I'm proud that we did it. But but as you mentioned, it is a huge need. But one of the suggestions was to maybe have like a wall calendar to share, to have at both houses so the parents, so the child can visually see, okay, I'm here at mom's, here at dad's, because that can get confusing. It's to, you know, It's hard enough for a parent to keep track of schedules, but uh, for a neurodiverse child, who doesn't really quite understand what's happening, it helps to see it visually and clearly and how to be consistent across homes. As much as you can, you want to try to communicate with that parent and make sure you're kind of following the same type of approaches. It also also helps when psychologists suggested a special one-on-one time, special play time with that child where you let them kind of take the lead and if they want to have them make their own rules in a game or whatever level they're at, then you just go with that. This is their time to kind of express to you, or if they can't verbally express it, just to have them know that they're loved, know that you're there to spend time with them with no interruptions, and that, that does a lot for a child too.
0: I think those are super, super helpful suggestions. And Hughes, you know just turning back to your own story, because you seem to have made a career out of helping people through what you went through, what were some of the surprises that you found when you were getting divorced given your special needs children?
1: Well, that's a really good question, Catherine. And so through my experience, I kind of found myself. I mean, for years, I was a stay-at-home mom taking care of my kids. But when I went through this, I kind of Put my hat back on of my back be 20 years before when I was in the corporate world and had project management and I had to basically even though I had a great team with me you know I was kind of the one that was putting forth a lot of ideas kind of maybe educating them um, to some extent as to what um, needed to be done in a special needs world and, and helping educate and lead my team to, to success that I did have. I ended up having a good to trial and I had a really great result and so so I was able to transform into someone who you know, was a focus on my kids to now you know, having, building a career, building a company, and here to help others so that their, their, their process in the special needs divorce is going to be a lot smoother and efficient, and hopefully less timely and expensive than mine was, and less stressful, too. That's, that's the main thing. So you don't want stress. It's stressful enough having the special needs kids, but... You know, we want to find experts out there, lawyers, coaches, other planners who can help you so that you get where you need to be without um, everything else being in the
0: way. All right. We're out of time, but that's a great perspective. Marianne Hughes, thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogue. Thank you.